Morning, everyone. Uh, we are going to continue with the book of Revelation, specifically chapter 11. Let's begin with the word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed Lord Jesus, in a few days we will kneel at the foot of the manger. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us today as we continue to prepare for that blessed celebration of the birth of Jesus that we will continue to prepare our heart by studying your word and learning all that you have entailed for us. Guide us, direct us, and lead us by your Holy Spirit so that we might honor you, serve you, and be obedient to your will so that those who meet us may know that we have spent time with you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, as you know, last week we uh, uh, finished chapter 10, but I wanted to highlight a couple of things. I kind of reviewed some of those things, and I thought it was really, really beautiful to do so. I sought my spiritual father's commentary, and one thing that really uh, struck me, and I thought I would share that with you. Just give me one moment here. This is the, from the book of Revelation from Father Brighton that he had written. And remember, we talked uh, last week about the mighty angel. So let me just quote him, because I think he really shed some light. We talked about it uh, last week, but I think it would be very helpful for us to hear someone who is more scholarly than I am. Uh, Dr. Brighton writes, the angel is furthermore introduced as a mighty, and I won't bother with the Greek word, even though they are here, angel. This is a less common adjective designating one who has might or strength. Only three angels in Revelation are designated as mighty. One, the angel who cried out asking whether there was any one worthy to receive the scroll and open its seals, and by this action introduced the victorious lamb in the heavenly vision of God's throne. That's from Revelation 5.2. The second, the angel here in Revelation 10, and the third, the angel who demonstrates the judgments of Babylon who probably is the same angel mentioned in 18.1, where he, he is a mighty voice announces the fall of Babylon. Another suggests that this mighty angel in Revelation 10 is probably not the same as the mighty angel in 5.2. Though both angels have a glorious role, as indicated by their descriptions as mighty. And so when we think of this mighty angel, and the uh, thought is, and I shared that with you last week, the thought is, more than likely, it is Jesus Christ. Because every category that is highlighted really depicts him as such. And with that, if you were to take a look at the first few verses, actually uh, the first one of um, chapter 10, there are five things I want to highlight. We talked about it last week, but I want to highlight how that is descriptive of this mighty angel. Number one, and you'll find them right in the text. 
coming down from heaven, right? So, and in a, in a week, we will be celebrating the coming down of the Son of God born through a virgin. Secondly, wrapped in a cloud, okay? And that is descriptive of the Old Testament. If you remember in the book of Exodus, God's uh, spoke through the cloud in the tabernacle, right? And he also through a cloud um, protected the Israelites as they crossed the Red Sea into the wilderness. And we also have that in the book of uh, Matthew as well as Luke uh, when um, the Father spoke through the cloud. You remember that with uh, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And interestingly, my spiritual father was talking about this. Uh, this wrapping of the cloud depicting God himself or someone who is so closely and intimately connected with God. The third is a rainbow over his head. And every time we hear the word of a rainbow, we are thinking of the great promises that God had given, right? He in the Old Testament spoke. Whenever you see the rainbow, remember. And what is it that we are to remember? No more flood. But what's behind it? God's mercy and God's compassion on the human race. So we need to put these uh, words together. And then his face was like the sun. And remember when Jesus was on the top of Mount of the Transfiguration, we were told he glowed, right? Brighter than the sun. Okay. And finally, his legs like pillars of fire. So you have the clouds and the fire. And two events from the Old Testament, again, the book of Exodus, right? We have the fire of a bush that never burned. And secondly, the fire that um, guided the Israelites in the night, right? And so we have these description, and all of them tell us what uh, role this mighty angel plays in the lives of the church. And it's very important for us to identify that and to know. And as we continued, as we, as we did last week, as we continued with the chapter, everything that we read in this chapter and everything that we're going to read in the chapter to come depict the mighty acts of creation. He's the creator of all things. Okay, so I think it's very helpful for us to reflect and ponder these things so that we might know the grace of God and his love for us. And that is really, really important. Okay, a question on that before we go to chapter 11. Any questions on what I just shared with you? Okay, hearing none, let's continue with chapter 11. And the two witnesses, <clears throat> then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. 
leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, closed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beasts that rise from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where the Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the people and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. You take a deep breath after you read that uh, portion of the word. All right. Uh, a couple of thoughts. <clears throat> uh, number one, um, we are told by John through the Holy Spirit, that he was given a rod, like a staff, to measure the temple, okay? So, what is he trying to convey to us? What is he trying to convey to us? Uh, be more specific. He said, um, represents God's people. But uh, specifically, why is he given a rod? That's the point. The reason for the rod is to declare to you and to me the kingdom of heaven will come again. The temple of the Lord will be built up. 
I want you to look at John chapter 14, verse 1 and 2 and 3. Please. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. And I need somebody to read that for us, please. Yes, please. John chapter 14, 1 through 3, please. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Okay. In in Revelation 11, John is measuring the temple, correct? And in in John, the Gospel of John 14, Jesus is preparing a place for us, right? And if he goes to prepare a place for us, he's going to do what? He's coming back, right? And we confess that in the creed every time we declare it, right? And he will come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead. Or another translation, the living and the dead. So when you hear and when you read that John has been giving a measuring rod, that is to say there is going to be a place where all those who have put their trust in the living God will dwell forever. So that measuring rod is, this, uh, indicates there's going to be a place for the people of God who has believed in him and will be in that place. And there they will worship. Okay, so they will worship in the temple of God, Right? That's what Jesus told us in John 14. He's going to prepare a place for us and he's going to come back to take us again, right? So that we may be with him, okay? And uh, last week in my sermon, I shared the word Emmanuel, meaning what? God is with us. God has always desired to be with us from the beginning of time. Even in the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve before they sinned. So that's God's desire for us to be in that uh, wonderful place with him. And so we have this. um, And then we are told about the holy city. And for 42 months, which is 1260 days, in uh, dressed in sackcloth. Now, um, we don't, in this country, we have no idea what does it mean to be dressed in sackcloth, okay? If I were to do that, you guys would think I lost my mind and you may call the Avira Hospital, say, come and get pastor to the psychiatric ward and put him in there with change and give him something to put him to sleep or something to that effect. But when the people of old dressed in sackcloth, they literally showed repentance. Sometimes they would even actually rip the clothes apart. 
Okay. I'm not sure the English term that I want to use. You remember the old uh, sacks they brought potatoes in? What kind of sack were those? Burlap. Burlap. That's the kind they would uh, wear. And then to make it even more evident, they would throw ashes on their heads to show repentance. Okay. Uh, we have this also in the Old Testament where Elijah... Uh, yeah, Elijah said there will be no rains for the same amount of time until people would repent, okay? Repentance is good for the soul. And during Ash Wednesday, what do we say? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, Okay? Two factors. One, it reminds us that we are going to die, but we shall also live again because we were from dust and to dust we return. And secondly, um, we will have um, the um, repentant heart. Not only I'm sorry, but true repentance of that. Now, uh, notice what it said here. Um, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, closed in sackcloth. Okay, now, uh, we do know uh, persecution is increasing, right, in our country. But we cannot forget that we probably know now about the persecution because it's so clearly portrayed in the media and brought about. But it has been going on ever since the time of Christianity. One other place in John I would like you to look at, and that is John 16, and that will help us a little bit more as we go further into the chapter of um, 11. But look at what it says in, chapters, uh, in John chapter 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. And notice now what Jesus said. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming... Whenever, when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is the life of the Christian. Is it's the life of persecution. Yes, Roger. Is that the way the Muslims think then? If they kill somebody, Of course. The question is, uh, is that how the Muslims think? Of course. When they're doing that, they're doing it for the sake of Allah. As if, um, you know, God needs protection. But they will do this, and it's been going on. I just received word yesterday, and I can't tell you where it's at just for safety because it's protecting our brother pastors. One brother pastor was put to death, beaten, and uh, bloodied, and bound, and put uh, thrown right in front of his church. Just yesterday. 
I can't tell you where it's at because the investigation and they're doing some other stuff. In time, it will come out. But for right now, we got to protect our brothers and sisters all over the world. And look at how many in Iran, brother pastors who have been in jail for seven years or eight years. Some have been butchered. Some have been killed. All of the disciples, if you study history, all of the disciples except John, have not been murdered. Every single one of them have. Some of them were cut in half with a, uh, with a saw. Some were filleted. Some were burned. Some were um, crucified, like Peter, upside down. So persecution has constantly and always been. And you're going to see this as we look at the remaining portion of chapter 11, where we uh, see what will happen to these two witnesses. And why is that important for us to know even today? Okay, so in verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foe. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. And then for three and a half days. Okay. Now, the, the thing we want to understand, who are the two witnesses they are talking about? And they are identified as the two olive trees and the two lampstands. And of course, that's in the temple, right? That's the, the images of the lampstands and the olive trees are in the temple near to God. But who are the two witnesses? wondering the same thing. <laughs> All right. I'm glad you asked. Uh, he's wondering who they are. The two witnesses, number one, is the church. And number two are the saints who worship the true God, which means you and I. Okay? So, the two witnesses are the church and the... Um, uh, the saints. Now, I just read uh, from John 14, the, uh, 16, excuse me, they're going to be put to death, right? And um, just shared with you the story about the brother pastor that was put to death. And uh, we've heard and we have seen many persecution. As a matter of fact, uh, someone just told me recently that in the last century, more have been killed for the sake of Christ than all the previous 19th centuries combined. Which is hard to envision, right? But persecution uh, has and continues to go every single one. Uh, let me read a little bit from Dr. Brighton. 
that the two witnesses are dressed in sackcloth demonstrate that they will conduct their prophetic ministry in a penitential attitude of humble and sacrificial service. The prophets of old were thus dressed at times as they carried out their own ministry as Yahweh's spokesman. The last of them was John the baptizer. Because he was dressed in unusual. The two witnesses are further described as the two olive trees and the two lampstands which stand before the Lord of the earth. This descriptive imagery is similar to that of Zechariah, okay? And so it is very helpful for us to understand how these two witnesses work, okay? And the church continues to stand firm in spite of all oppositions, correct? No matter what the world throws at us, the church will never die. We will die whether somebody's going to kill us or when the Lord calls us home, but we have the promise that we will rise again. Uh, let me read again from Father Brighton. In the context of Zechariah 4, 2 through 14, it appears that the lampstand is Israel, the people of God. Remember, I told you this before in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Why did God choose the Israelites? Not because they were more special than anyone else, but so that they be a light to the nation. What is the role of the church? What is our role? Spread the word. <clears throat> to spread the word, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the purpose of the church. It isn't to be a great social ministry. That is not our role as a church of Jesus Christ. The church exists to be a light to a dark world. What I speak from the pulpit is to be the truth. Why do I wear this lapel here, this tab that stays white? I am proclaiming the purity of God's word, not my opinion. I think I may have shared this with you before, my first sermon that I wrote while I was student at the seminary over 30 years ago. I wrote in my first sermon um, something to this effect. In my opinion, and it was all circled in red, and my professor said, who really cares about your opinion? I want to know about Jesus, not your opinion. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, when we think of what it is that God calls us to be, we are to be the holy city on a hill. So that those who see the light may come to it. Just like bugs are drawn to the light, so are people who are walking in darkness are drawn to the light of the gospel. That's the role of the church. 
on what is our role as the blood-bought and baptized, forgiven, redeemed, and heaven-bound. What is our role? To be a witness to the truth. That's my role. I have no other role but to be a witness of what I have heard and what I have seen. It's not my role to convert people. I have no power for that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not here to make you feel so happy all the time. I'm not here to fix you the best steaks to come and eat even during Advent or Lent services or to serve pecan pie. I had to put that in since it's my favorite. <laughs> but my role and your role as God's redeemed people is to be people that live in this world but not of it. Our life should reflect our relationship with the heaven-sent Savior. The church fails in that role if they do not adhere to the word of God as the absolute truth. And I feel sorry for our brothers and sisters out there who are worshiping at other churches where the Bible is no longer God's word, but what they think. They think, emphasizing here, they think it is God's word. That's why the church ought to be Proclaimers of the only truth of God's word. Nothing else. We speak about the whole counsel of God. We teach the people the truth. And we lead them to see what God has done. Uh, two other things uh, from Father Brighton. We talked about the lampstand. Um, the, the, as two lampstands, the temple and the holy city... That is, the New Testament church and God's saints on earth. When we, as the baptized children of God, fail in our witness, we are failing Christ. Now, let me explain a little bit so that I can help in that. When we're talking about witnessing, I'm not, I'm not saying take a little um, board and stand at the game of the Vikings and say uh, John 3.16. Whether you do it or not, that's not that big of a deal. But how our lives are is how we really witness to one another. I think I may have shared this story with you. If I haven't, here it is again. This pastor had just come to a new community, and he had gone to the grocery store and wanted to buy some stuff, and he did. Got the change, thanked the man, and went to his vehicle and sat there, and he was counting his money. And as he was counting the money, he realized that the uh, person at the counter gave him a quarter too much. So he sat there debating, should I go back in and give the quarter? Or should I keep it? And this struggle went inside of his mind. 
And finally he says, no, it isn't mine. I got to go and take it back. And so he went in and gave it to the man who happened to be the owner of the store. And he said, sir, you gave me by mistake a quarter extra. And the owner said, I'm sorry, I did not give it by mistake. I gave it to you to see what kind of man you are. He went back to his car, put his head down like this, and he says, dear Jesus, please forgive me. I almost sold you for a quarter. I almost sold you for a quarter. How we live our lives, how we communicate with brothers and sisters, how we depict our relationship with others is to always bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us all. We fail miserably. And thank God there is forgiveness. That kind of happened to us just this last weekend when we was up to Kim's. We went in out to eat and Roger and Kim had had something to drink. And when I went to pay for it, a different guy brought the bill. And when he brought the bill, he hadn't put the drinks on there. So when I went to pay, I told him, I said, they had something to drink and it's not on there. He said, well, you didn't have to tell me. I said, I know, but I would know that I did not pay for it. And I wouldn't have felt guilty because I didn't pay for it. Uh, What was just shared in the class, uh, this couple went to see their daughter and had something to eat and drank and the bill came from someone else and lacking on the bill was the drinks. And the lady said, well, uh, there's no uh, drinks on this bill. I should pay for it. The guy said, well, you didn't have to tell me. He says, no, I needed to tell you because that is how we live. And that's, that's witnessing, isn't it? That's witnessing to the grace of God in our lives. You know, if we, if we think how blessed we are, I'm not talking about material things, okay? The blessings are not always material. The spiritual blessings... Forgiveness, faith, grace, mercy, compassion, eternal life. These are blessings beyond any wealth the world can give to us. Because no one can take these away from us. Because no one is going to take what they have with them in a hearse. Right? I've never seen a semi following a hearse with all the belongings of any of the actors or the millionaires or the billionaires or whatever. Solomon told us, you can't take it with you. You're going to leave it to somebody else. But what God has given, no one can take away from us. And that's very important for us to live our lives as witnesses. You know, think of John... He bear witness, or he bore witness to the grace of God, right? One other place I want you to look at. Look at John chapter 20, verses 31, 30 and 31. I keep going to John, but it's, it's a beautiful thing. Look at John 20. <clears throat> and uh, 30 and 31... And I will read it to kind of help us here. Everyone there? Okay. 
Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Everything that we do is to be what? A testimony to the grace of God in our lives so that others may believe in Him as the heaven-sent Savior. You know, we don't have everything in the Bible um, about what Jesus did. John tells us these things, right? But what we do have is to be used to tell God's good news, right? Uh, Isaiah 52, verse 7. Um, how blessed are the feet of those who bring good news, right? Who declares salvation, who tells uh, Jerusalem, peace has come. This is our role. These are the witnesses. And even though, as witnesses, we are always putting our lives on the line, right? What did Jesus say you should do if you want to follow him? You remember? What did Jesus say? If you want to follow him, you should do what? Love like him? Uh, close. More specific. I'm going to say take up my cross. Bingo. Take up your cross. And by taking the cross, you are declaring to the world, I'm willing to die for the sake of what my Savior has done for me. You've seen how many people have been put to death without willingness to recant or anything else. Look at Martin Luther. He had all the giants, all the powerhouses of Rome against him. And he said, I cannot change what I believe, what I trust, what I hear. Yes, Kathy, you had a question. What was the last John? John chapter 20. Verses 30 and 31. Okay. And so when we think of um, this wonderful testimony of these witnesses that declares um, <clears throat> God's good word, we are to reflect that upon all people. So. Um, uh, so it is very helpful for us to, rea to realize that though uh, the world may hate us, the world may persecute us, the world will despise us and mock us and um, make fun of us, our role is to stand firm, right? We may not like it. Nobody wants to be beaten to death. Nobody wants to be um, hurt or uh, condemned or mocked or laughed at. But our role is to truly be men and women of God, declaring the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is our role. Okay. 
And to help us understand this just a little bit better, look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter First Peter, I'm hanging on, young lady, just give me here. First Peter, chapter 1, I believe, maybe it's chapter 2, chapter 2, okay, uh, First Peter, chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, notice what Peter declares to us. <clears throat> But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim, notice these words, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is why the church exists. This is why we proclaim God's good news. The angels announced it to the shepherds, right? I bring you good news of great joy that the Savior has been born. And we, the royal priests of God, are to live as his ambassadors. That's the key. Now, going back to the text before us here, they're talking about what will happen to them. They will be beaten and killed. And you know, first, we do know that the temple was destroyed, right? In 70 AD. And of course, they're going to, they're, there's a big talk about the rebuilding and will it be rebuilt. The one who will rebuild it is God himself. And he did that because his son, Jesus Christ, is the temple. Because there will be no need to have that except what God has given to us. And then we are to uh, told that the beast that rises from the bottomless pit, this is in verse 7, and when they have finished their testimony, those are the two witnesses, which is the church and God's people, the testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. Okay, so we do know what will happen to the church. It has been attacked and continues to be attacked, and so will God's people. There's not going to be a time when this is not going to happen. Why is that? Why will this never cease to be? The devil continues tries to drag people to the abyss to spend eternity. Since he could not defeat Jesus, he's going after his children. We are all children 
through the gift of baptism, right? So, and um, for three and a half days, and from the uh, from the people and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. That is a description of a carcass that's out there to be rotted and spoiled. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice. How many people are rejoicing now? Because Christians are being killed. We hear about it all the time. And notice what it says. They will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. Wow. What a description, huh? Because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. The, remember that the law of God kills. When we speak, and we get this so often, when we speak the truth, even when we speak it in love, people do not want to hear it. They say, who do you think you are? I want to live my life the way I want to do it, right? Yes. Um, okay, question here. Yes, dear. The lampstands represent the church and saints. So is there actually going to be a time when there is absolutely no church and no saints, you know, for three and a half days, they'll be dead? Okay, the question is, the lampstands and the olive trees represents the church and the saints. Will there ever be a time when the church ceases to exist and the saints for three and a half days? I don't believe it is the limited of the time for the three and a half but there will be no need for a church because we will all be in the presence of the Lamb. That's the only time. But we will be a church. What is, it? What is the definition of a church? More specific. Ecclesia in the Greek. Group of believers. Group of believers, but people who have been called out. Jesus said, we are in the world, but not of the world. So we have been called out. Ek is to come out. Kaleo is being called out. So the church really has been called out from among all of these people. So in answer to your question, uh, <clears throat> Santina, that the church ceases to live on earth only when the temple is restored, which is Jesus Christ. That's the only time. But then we will be in heaven. There will be no more death, no more destruction, no more pain, no more sorrow. We will worship forever. So um, you know, the church will be in the presence of the Holy One, the Lamb of God. But there will be no temple because he's the temple. So does that answer? No. <laughs> so you are specifically concentrating on the three and a half. You know, uh, one thing with the book of uh, Revelation is that literal... Three and a half days or figurative? And I don't know. I, I don't want to put so much stock to say, well, this is it is because other places we don't. For example, in First Peter, we are told that a thousand years with the Lord is like a day. Well, what does that mean? I mean, I don't know. Is the, is the day a thousand years? I don't know. 
So I, I don't want to put a lot of stock in the time, but for a season, the church has been attacked and will continue to be attacked. But it will never cease to exist. Because, and why do I say this? Because Jesus made this statement, and it's a promise. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Now, the church building may be destroyed. People may leave the church, but the church will always exist because Jesus is her Lord. Okay? So, as far as the actual time, I don't know. I didn't read what Father Brighton says, and I don't want to take a lot of time right now to look for that, but I will look at it again and kind of communicate. I, I will make a special point of looking at the time because he spent like 50 years studying the book of Revelation. He, in class, he could tell you what adverb, what word was used, um, Let's see if it says. Okay, the two witnesses are killed, 11, 7 through 10. But the church will suffer as a result of completing her mission. For when the two witnesses have completed their witness, the bees from the abyss will make war with them and will conquer them and will kill them. While the church is active in God's mission, the fury of the enemy... And its opposition never slackens. And finally, when the church has completed the mission, this fury of the enemy will be unleashed to destroy the witness of the church. So, by that time then, the witnessing has been completed. The church uh, use has been completed. Everything that needed to be done. Could, it could be the end of times. Yeah. This enemy is symbolized by the beast, which is coming up from the abyss. Uh, John had seen the demonic forces from the abyss uh, afflicting the human race, and the leader of this demonic force was the angel of the abyss, whose name is Avadan, which is the destroyer, or uh, that's Hebrew, and then Apollon in the Greek, which both mean destroyer. In Revelation 13, John will see two beasts, one from the sea and the other from the earth, who are under the control of the dragon. So... You know, as far as that is concerned, the time will come where the church is no longer needed because we are not going to live on earth. We're going to be with, uh, in, with Jesus in heaven. So that will be the fulfillment of what will happen. Um, but, you know, the one thing that I do want to announce is that though they die, the witnesses, right? Because they, they die, what happened then? Right, right. So there is the resurrection. Whatever that time period is, we don't know. You know, we are living right now is the end time period. But the end will come when Jesus comes riding on a cloud, just as he ascended to heaven, right? He will come, and that will be the end of the world as we know it. And it's hard for us to envision that is really actually going to happen. But... Um, <clears throat> for three and a half days, some from the people... Okay, let me see. Um, but uh, Verse 11. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. And they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. 
Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Okay. So we have the resurrection, right? So we have the church will live on forever, and so will the saints. For a period, they may be undo, you know, undo, under duress because of difficulties and hardships, but the grace of God is with us at all times. And uh, by the way, when you read in verse 11, um, let's see. Wait, hold it, hold it, hold it just a minute. Okay, in verse 11, but after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. What does that remind you of? God breathed life into Adam and Eve. Right. God breathed life into, because it was a body, but no soul in it, right? It says, Ruach Yahweh in the Hebrew, which is the breath of God, and literally God gave life to Adam. And it's the same thing right here. And it's the same things in Zechariah. If you remember all these bones, right? And prophesy to them so that they will come up. And all of a sudden there was a rattle and there were sinews and there were flesh, but they had no breath. And then finally the breath of life was breathed. So, uh, in the footnote of the Bible, breath of life from God recalls both the creation account and the vision recorded by, I, I said Zechariah, Ezekiel, excuse me, where the breath of God restores life to dry bones, though the witnesses suffer temporal death, resurrection and vindication awaits. Okay? So we have the promise. We also have that. We can go back to John again, chapter 11, 24, 25, and 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. You know, that's why it's such a great joy uh, to celebrate when someone goes to be with Jesus. It sure destroys your life when you lose your mother or your father, a brother or sister. All of these things are hard on us. But we wait with great anticipation the final resurrection of all flesh. And that's something that we can rejoice and hope in. Okay, we have a couple of minutes. Are there any questions uh, before we close this? And notice how it ends here that people die at the end and many uh, finally give glory to God. And we do know that in uh, Philippians chapter 2, at the end of time, both in heaven, uh, or not both, but in heaven, earth, and under the earth, everybody will bow the knee to the Lord God Almighty. That's the state of exaltation. Comments or questions or thoughts? <clears throat> if not, let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that I don't understand everything in this scripture. 
But what I do understand is that you came to earth to suffer and to die for our sins and to forgive us our sins and to grant us life and salvation. Though there are some things that are hidden, yet there are plenty of things that tell us of the great joy that await all of those who fall asleep in you. Bless us now and prepare our hearts to worship you as the only Lord and God, the mighty angel who has come in the flesh to take us to be with you in paradise. Hear us, Father, for the sake of Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Just for your information, we will not have Bible study next week or the week after. And I think you guys can figure out the reason why.